welcome to Let's Talk Shop, a podcast for the small business owner and creative entrepreneur. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 8. My name is Trace and I'm your host of Let's Talk Shop. I work as a small business mentor helping business owners grow their wholesale. Last week, I spent a whole day filming with Catherine Adlu from Future Retails on an exciting new collaboration we are doing. We are going to be releasing a series of masterclasses related to wholesale, and the first ones will be all about getting you started. We'll be releasing more information soon, but do drop me an email or a DM and I'll make sure to send you more details as soon as they are available. Now I know I said in the end of last week's episode that I will be talking to a retail buyer today but after my chat with Megan from Curated Makers last week I decided to switch things around and release her episode early. The reason for this is because Megan is co-hosting Creatable which is a business networking event for creatives with Helen from the Creative Business Network in Manchester in the beginning of September and tickets are still available but only for this week so i wanted to make sure that the podcast episode stayed as relevant as possible and therefore i decided to switch things around this chat is also a little bit different because we don't cover that much about wholesale i think that what megan offers with curator makers is such a brilliant platform both if you're happy with focusing on your direct sales or if you want to sell to shops but feel that you need to test the waters a bit by being sold in a high street brick and mortar store before you take the plunge and go all in with your wholesale. I love how passionate Megan is and is really infectious and I think that she's really really onto something. In this episode we chat all about how Curated Makers was born out of a desire to work with people that Megan respects and look up to. The high street is in desperate need for meaningful products but it's not that easy for small and large businesses to work together and the reality is that it's really difficult for a large retailer to buy from lots and lots of small business owners so I think that Megan is really onto something and she's really working hard to bridge that gap. She was actually the first person that I invited onto Let's Talk Shop weeks before I invited anyone else actually. We were just chatting on Instagram and I decided to just go for it and invite her and that's also when I really decided that I was going to start Let's Talk Shop. I had obviously thought about launching a podcast for a long time and I had made the decision but I was still sitting a little bit on the fence and I was still planning it out but then I was chatting to Megan and I thought I'm just going to go for it and I invited her to be my first guest. I really hope that you will enjoy this episode and my talk to Megan. I would love to see where you are listening so do tag me at small underscore business underscore collaborative and remember to tag Megan as well at Curated Makers and show us where you are listening. Hi Megan, thank you so much for coming on Let's Talk Shop. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I will pre-warn you, this is my first time on a podcast but I'm so happy to be here. So yeah, very much looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. I think Curated Makers is such a great concept. And I look forward to hearing how you came up with it and where you see it going. I think it's so in keeping in like 
the time now because people are craving more personal brands and shopping for smaller brands, but the high street is simply not offering that. So I think this is a great opportunity for small brands to get featured in high street stores. Thank you. I'm so glad you like it. It does just feel really timely at the moment. You know, there's so many empty shops on the high street. Even the big retailers are really struggling and Curated Makers just allows them to get access to a a sprinkle of small business uh, magic, really, overnight through Curated Makers. So yeah, I can't wait to tell you more. And they don't have to deal with 50 people. They do not. I'll do all of that for them. So I think that's one of the beauties of it is it really is an overnight solution to have access to localized independent makers. And yeah, through one point of contact, which is me, I take I just want to make it easy for all parties. I want to make it easy for the small business, easy for the retailer and easy for the customer to shop. I think it's so great. But before we get kind of stuck in, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what Curated Makers is for those who are listening who might not have heard about it before. Yeah, definitely. I was jumping ahead of myself there, wasn't I? (laughs) No, it was my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, I'm Megan Jones and I'm founder of Curated Makers. I studied fashion management at London College of Fashion and I went on to do my placement year in merchandising at ASOS. And then when I graduated, I went back to ASOS in merchandising. So I think that gave me a really good grounding that I didn't quite know was going to be relevant down the line. But I loved it, but I wanted to work in marketing, but um, I couldn't really find the opportunity in London. And I'd also met my partner at the time and he was based up north. So I did move back up north and I started working for large e-commerce companies um, in digital marketing like Boohoo and Kitbag, Beauty Bay and AO. And I was working in affiliate marketing, which is all a commission based model for online retailers. And I was just hopping around every 12 to 18 months, I guess. I I loved the people I was working for, but I didn't necessarily look up to or wasn't very impressed by the the owners of the company and, and the visions that they all had. And I was working really, really hard in order to help them grow their businesses, but I didn't believe in what they were trying to grow. So I was trying to look around every time. That's why I was moving so often. I was trying to find a company that spoke to me that, you know, was in line with my brand, with my values and my, what I thought a business should be, but I couldn't find that in the North. I I know there's a lot of cool businesses and a lot of ethically focused businesses down in London, but now I lived in Manchester, I couldn't find it. So that's when I, what actually happened was I had a little bump in my car and the car was written off. I was totally fine, but I had two weeks off work with with Whiplash. It wasn't anything serious, but it just made me think, oh my word, it could have been serious. And I just started really reflecting on what I was doing and I didn't want to go back to work. I wasn't happy working with what I was doing. So my very supportive partner did say to me at the time, he's like, well, do something you love then, quit don't go back and honest and so it wasn't like I had a business idea and I was developing it alongside my job I actually did it the polar opposite way around I had no idea I was gonna do it I had no savings I had no (laughs) I didn't even know what the business was gonna be 
but when he just said well right well put pen to paper and really think about what you love what what don't you like about the businesses you work for and create something that fits what you want so then I had to start thinking what am I going to do and that's when the vision started coming into into life that was very vice of him yeah it's really really kind as well like I don't think he knew what he was letting himself in for now (laughs) he's like he's like oh my word what have we done but it's exciting and he's like fully part of it now and he has to be really in order to like keep on championing and supporting me because I didn't know what I was letting myself in for either yeah well I've seen on Instagram he he gets roped in to do all sorts of things I know he's a joiner (laughs) as well so at the time again I didn't realize what his part was going to be but he builds everything for me now so yeah I'll get on to that but it's all because of him in a really really good way but I always remind that him when it's when times are tough I'm like this is all because of you (laughs) you told me to quit (laughs) I'm doing what you said I should do (laughs) (laughs) yes but that's really great and then what happened after that so I started googling how how to start a business in all seriousness I I'd studied fashion management but it didn't talk anything about entrepreneurship I didn't even know that was an option for me and that's what I was like annoyed at the education system for Mm. was that I didn't even know that was an option. If I'd have known, or maybe I'm naive, but I don't know. I guess there must be other people like me out there like this. But I didn't fit in in these jobs. And potentially that's because I was destined to start my own business. And But I didn't know that at the time. So I just started um, going to all the free workshops that were out there. And there's a lot of free stuff out there when you start looking. So there was at the time, there was a Google garage in Manchester. So I went to that and did the Start Your Own Business course for free. I signed up with the Prince's Trust and did their entrepreneurship program, which again was free. There was loads of free things at the library on all sorts of topics. And I just utilized absolutely every free bit of information out there in order to work out whether this was the right path for me. That's so good that there are free information out there. Oh, there is, yeah. Even if we don't know about it readily. Yeah, no, it it really is out there. And Eventbrite is absolutely fabulous for just searching and you can filter for free things as well. And a lot of them are like council funded and I'm sure they, they happen in every area, not just Manchester. They're out there. You've just got to go and find them. And for sure, the Google Garage moves around. Princess Trust is everywhere. And then I even worked with like the Manchester youth market on developing like a business plan to test my my concept out on a market store, which is what they all say to you to do is to test your idea with like the minimum, most minimum viable product, get it to market, get some feedback, get some learnings and some real life experience and try and make your first sale. And that's one of the hardest things you've got to do is convince someone to, to, to spend money with you really. So yeah, I just made use of everything free out there and then started to really think about what I wanted to do, who I wanted to work with, what made me happy. And it really was, I wanted to help small businesses grow. I wanted to help them make money. I wanted to work a, oh no, I was going to say a 40 hour week. It's more like an 80 hour week, but work a full-time job and know that the person at the end of all my hard work that I respect, that I value, that I really want to help. And I know that what I'm doing is for the the greater good and for people that I genuinely cared about. And I spent a lot of time at artisan markets myself. And as I was talking to the the makers and the creators behind the stores, I was like, these are the guys I want to work with. Like, 
one vivid memory is at Prestwich Artisan Market, which is super close to me. And this lady makes bath bombs and all, all um, skincare products. And she said, oh, I used to be a lawyer and I just did this on the side. And, you know, and this one lady made candles and she said, oh, I used to be a doctor. Um, but now I, I find, you know, my time making candles. I absolutely love it. And all these people found like their creative side, probably alongside their full time job as a bit of an escapism. But then some of them have actually been able to make that their full time um, job or some of them are quite happy for it just to be part time. But either way, they were such fabulous people at the end of behind these market stores. And I was like, they're the people I want to help. And at the time, I didn't know it was I was going to be on the high street. I didn't know that was the model business. So you met these people. And is that why you decided oh, I'm going to do a pop up stall at a market? Or how did that happen? Yeah, it, it was because it was the cheapest way to get out there. And I really believe that that if you've got an idea, you can go to a market, it's quite low cost of entry to get onto one and you can get instant feedback. So that's what I did. I managed to rally up four or five makers and take them to market on their behalf so in November 2017 I did my first market in Leeds at their vegan festival and I spent about three hours setting up my little market stall really overthinking everything and took my mum along with me and it was amazing I had a really good sales day because it was on the lead up to Christmas and I thought oh wow this is it I've, I've, I've got the business idea but at the time I was charging like a really low commission amount so then when I got home you know I'd driven an hour and a half home I'd unpacked the car I counted the pennies worked out what I was gonna earn from that and I was like oh, it only like covers my sandwiches it, it doesn't <laughs> it's not profitable and I was like right back to the drawing board what do I do this isn't a profitable business it's a nice thing to do but it's I'm not I'm not charity but you learned that you could sell products yeah. that you believed in yeah and that was the main thing like the concept does work it just needs a bit of tweaking and I think yeah. one of the best bits of advice I was given at the very beginning which I would say to anyone as well is don't get too attached or too precious about your business idea at the beginning because it's definitely not going to end out the way you started and you've just got to adapt and change with the customer the demand the state of the world you know thing you've just got to keep up to date keep adapting and go with the customer feedback as well and yeah don't get too precious about that initial idea because it probably won't end up that way that is so true and I think that's what a lot of you know the the shops on the high street that are not doing so well that's where they're failing they're not adapting quickly enough they're not seeing what's happening around them and adapting and they're not flexible enough because they're big businesses I guess that's it they're, they are too big in order to to action something and that's the beauty of, of my business now is that it is so I am a small business myself so I can change so quickly I'm just I can wake up one morning and change the direction of the company if I wanted to but they really can't because they've got so much hierarchy and, and they've people in place that they just can't keep up quick enough and an obligation to their staff and all the people working there too it's not that straightforward but what happened then so you did this first pop-up market store how what happened after that you had a rethink and what did you decide <laughs> so I just kept doing different market stores I was trying all sorts and was enjoying the markets but knew that there was too much logistics involved to represent the makers uh, and to make it profitable. So it, I was actually walking through Manchester and saw in the window of Debenhams that 
the Northern Quarter Gallery, Art Gallery, had a pop-up in the window. And I was like, oh my, look at that. That's different. I want to do that. And so I said to my mum, I said, oh, I'm going to try and get that window spot in Debenhams. And I think she must have thought I was crazy. And uh, so I did. I made it everything... I did everything I could in order to get into Debenhams and it happened. So I reached out to them and I tried every method I could in order to get in touch with them. And luckily, one of the management team said yes. And I actually didn't manage to secure that window spot straight away, but they offered me a space on the third floor to do a pop-up. So it was initially I agreed two weeks in the Manchester store on Market Street on the third floor, near the restaurant and near the toilets, which I thought is quite a good deal because <laughs> it was indoors, it was near, there's quite a heavy footfall that use the bathrooms in Debenhams and the, the, the restaurant. So I thought if it's not ground floor, the next best place is going to be up there near the cafe. So I did that for two weeks, um, which was amazing. And I was like, couldn't believe I was there. And then the sales were good. So they asked me to stay another week. And then I kept asking, well, what about the window spot? It's empty. You know, there's, there's, um, there's just product in there. And it wasn't that exciting from the outside. And that was, it was, they've got so much window space, but they just, in my opinion, weren't utilizing it to the full potential. And I knew that it was possible because the art gallery had been in there. Anyway, the fourth week, they let me go downstairs. Oh. Wow. And is that sort of something that came naturally to you, you know, to keep at them and keep asking? Or is that just because you were so passionate about it? Yeah, it was a mixture of both passion and persistence. I think my confidence has developed an awful lot in the last six months particular. But at that point in time, I was still very new to it. This was the first time I'd actually represented curated makers in a big retailer. And I think I was passionate about the product. They could see that. They could see the way I interacted with the customer that maybe they weren't able to do themselves. And the sales were there. And they, I think they were quite surprised that the, the revenue was actually, you know, I was converting these customers that they probably didn't think I would. They think, oh, you know, on the third floor, it's quite low risk. What have we got to lose? She's paying us some rent to be here. And I think the fact that I was actually generating revenue up there that they thought, yeah, go on, we've got the space. Well, they charged me more, don't get me wrong, to go downstairs. But I, at that point, had to take that risk and say, well, the exposure to be downstairs would be huge. The passing footfall on Market Street would be huge. Oh, I just, I really want that window spot. So I um, I think the sales helped, my passion helped, and yeah, perseverance for sure. And how many makers did you have in that pop-up? Ah, that's a good question. I think I started upstairs with about 25. And then when I moved downstairs into this it was about 600 square foot downstairs was I think I had about 35 makers on board at that point and so the biggest thing I'd ever done because yeah the market stores was four five six people max and then all of a sudden Debenhams was, was 35 so it was very market storely in there it looked as good as I could could do because I'd turned the downstairs location overnight really I didn't know that was coming they just said okay go for it so I had no uh, and all I had was a roll-up banner and I quickly ordered the vinyl for the window and had a lovely friend Myro Doodles who could doodle on windows so asked her to be a part of it so she did the window for me and used all of their fixtures and fittings that they had um, as like as spares really and just made the best of what I had available to me which was amazing and it was the true uh, it was a real turning point for me in believing in what I'd started and the sales were there and the customer liked it 
the makers were absolutely thrilled by the opportunity and everyone was talking about it and it just created such a buzz and it gave me a real yeah a real confidence boost that I think this is it this is the this is my concept yeah it's such a great concept and then did that bring more people that would normally maybe have gone into Debenhams into Debenhams do you think definitely yeah I'd say upstairs on the third floor it was the true Debenhams customer because they'd already spent a lot of their time and they were invested in getting up those three flights of floors yeah there was no passing trade there that you know they, they were fully invested in Debenhams and but when I moved downstairs I saw a huge shift in who the customer was they were stopping at the window they were looking at the product and they were coming straight in from the window to that product and buying it so it was so powerful to see because that wasn't the true Debenhams customer they were saying to me at the till oh my I haven't been in Debenhams for years I only come to use the bathroom type thing and I was like well this is amazing that you know they've let us have this space it's really forward thinking and yeah it's good that it's got you through the door really and so new customer for Debenhams and and a great platform for me and the makers. That's so brilliant and what did you do after that what was the next step? Uh, so I, I got a taste of that and I really that was in July last year and I wanted to be back in for Christmas as you can imagine this spot was allocated for a sushi bar and you know it kept dragging on and on and on and I said oh if it's empty can I come back I'll pay you the same rent I'll pay you more rent just let me back in. My perseverance didn't happen that time. And the sad thing is, come Christmas, the window, there was no sushi bar in there. And the window... It, I just my heart pined for it every time I walked past because I just knew there was so much potential that that space could have been doing whereas it just had perfume in there and lingerie and it was just you know it, it didn't work out last Christmas so but in the meantime I'd had another retailer reach out to me and I'd spent a lot of time and developing you know measuring the space working on it and I thought this is it I've got a different retailer on board I won't name them because it never actually happened but we got so so close and it fell through but they'd approached me so I thought well this is it it's a a done deal but it actually fell through because there's so much paperwork that goes on in the background that most people probably don't realize and it was the landlord said that we weren't allowed to occupy the space because we were a market and we were not we're not a market Uh, it was just a whole word misunderstanding really with the landlord and and the retailer but then time was you know moving on quite quickly so we didn't have the time to fight it and I didn't have the expertise or or the confidence really to 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 push back and really really fight for it so I'd already told the makers that I was going to be in this retailer which was a big learning curve because I'm not doing that ever again until I've signed on the dotted line or 100% got it confirmed which is a real battle for me because I either tell people and then it falls through or hold off telling people but then whether they can keep up with making the stock quick enough yeah it's just a, it's a real real learning curve because I've right now as we're talking Therese I meant to have a pop-up shop that starts in six weeks time but I've not signed on the dotted line so I can't tell any makers formally because if it doesn't happen yeah of course I don't want to commit to take stock off people oh it's it's a real real battle to to get right yeah of course because Often, you know, if they're hand-making everything, I suppose they need a bit of a longer lead time too. Yes, yes. So that's the the struggle I'm in. So last Christmas it didn't happen, but I'd already told them. So then I went to plan B. I thought I've got to try something. So I, I did 
I carried on doing market stores. I did, I tested lots of different things. I did pop-ups in cafes, pop-ups in bars. And where else did I do? I did a pop-up in like a, an office block. I was just trying absolutely anything I could mm. in order to keep on going and push through. But it was probably one of the hardest times for me because I tasted the success of Debenhams and then had to almost come back to the reality of, well, I'm not in a retailer right now and I'm not I'm not making revenue. This isn't a sustainable business. That's what I realized at Christmas. It, it, did, it wasn't generating income for yeah. me. And I was like, this is Christmas. If it's not working at Christmas, it's never going to work. So that was really hard. Yeah, come January... So with the Princess Trust, you actually get a business mentor and I was allocated this amazing guy and he's retired now. So he has a lot of time and a lot of retail expertise to to share with me. That's brilliant. I know he's absolutely fabulous and he's given me the confidence to to reach out to, to more big retailers and to really, really push further. And what we did was we approached pretty much every retailer out there um, in January when I was like, this is make or break. This is my year. And Hmm. January, February, March was reaching out to, to retailers with no success. And what are we in now? We're on the 14th of August and everything's kind of happened in the last four or five months. Um, So it's almost like fishing. You cast your net and you don't know who's going to (laughs) bite. And we were waiting and waiting for these retailers to get back to us. And then they all kind of came at once. And, And that's in the predicament I'm in now. I'm just juggling so many different talks with so many different makers, um, with so many different retailers, is that there is just me running the business and it's just trying to build relationships with the retailers, keep the makers in the loop as to what's potentially coming and to actually trade the current pop-up shops I'm in whilst planning for the future ones. It's There's a lot going on at the moment, but it's all super positive and it just shows that, yeah, perseverance um, has, has paid off at the moment. Yeah, because you just come out of two pretty much back-to-back pop-up now yeah two pretty big ones as well how has that been for you that's been the biggest challenge so far for sure the first one this year was with Bent's garden center and that was in June for four weeks and it went amazingly well and I'd never even thought of the garden center market because my focus was then on the high street and I was like right I'm going to change the high street Mm. and you know innovate and disrupt but then local to me is Bent's garden center which is like the pinnacle of garden centers it's beautiful and it's just always really really busy and I was like well all I need is footfall and it's a beautiful place they've got a lot of space why don't I approach them um so they were on board because they wanted to help support local businesses too so that was a win-win and that worked really well so now I know garden centers are amazing <laughs> which I, I I love anyway <laughs> they are and they get so much footfall with like coaches and everything yeah a lot and they kind of tick the box with it's a destination you could spend all day there in it at least on a high street you're probably in the shop for 10 minutes but at a yeah. garden center you're probably in there for like two hours yeah you browse you have lunch you have afternoon tea yeah and there's lots of different types of people that go to the garden centers too I think. yeah all sorts and yeah and all generations as well that's what i found like grandma's there with mom and the kids and they're meeting their friends and a lot of mums have just had babies or probably killing a few hours you know with the pram walking it's dry inside (laughs) so yeah I met all sorts of people great people (laughs) and then yeah went on to paper chase 
a few weeks after that which again was absolutely amazing and I was on their mezzanine floor in Manchester for four weeks and I, I yeah I finished there last week so now I'm busy counting stock and stock taking and planning for the next one. Well now you have all these fancy units that you have had your partner help you build and everything is looking very on brand now. Yeah it's really coming on every event is really stepping up a notch and uh, the branding's looking good you can clearly see it's a curated makers pop-up which is everything I, I ever wanted really and yeah very lucky to have him that Tom that will build everything for me very lucky the paper chase one they looked amazing and it went really well with what they already do in store because is it on the mezzanine that they do paper chase love yeah that wasn't necessarily stationary product yeah it's, it's like a whole floor dedicated to independent brands which is just absolutely fabulous already so they have like backpacks and water bottles lunch boxes and beauty creams and or popcorn and chocolate and all sorts which are all independent brands but not necessarily localized and um, so they just gave me a, a lovely piece of space actually it was really really big probably the biggest space I've took on to date and I had 52 makers in there and what it allowed me to do for them was complement their existing range but also allow like a localized feel people love to buy products from knowing that it's made locally and and that that's mm. what I was able to do for them and and yeah such a lovely lovely place to be the staff the customer is great already you by going into a retailer you're kind of picking your perfect customer really because they've already built that that loyal base so the customer to curated makers is already mm. you know a loyal customer of paper chase but then by giving us access to the window to attract a new customer as well we're attracting new people in as well it, it's just a, a real win-win and a lot of the feedback was oh how long has this been here are you here permanently oh it complements really well it just fits within paper chase what a great collaboration which is music to my hit my ears but yeah it, it, it fitted really really well as a, as a collaboration but it looked amazing the window looked great and also you had a maker doing live sort of things in the store which brought a different element to paper chase I yeah suppose. yeah the live activations are such a big trial and a test and, and something different to offer because everyone loves something different so we like to offer personalization on those tables and also open it up to makers that maybe don't have the margin to stock with me full time and um, so they can just come in mm. for the day and try all that so we have like ceramicists come in as, as well and um, with more delicate products and we had like pet portraits everyone loves their pets so chloe came in and painted their uh, cats and dogs which really, really goes down well but it's just that whole live experience the, the customers want it the retailers want it and it, and it yeah it's a really nice thing to do and so much easier for the retailers because they don't have to arrange it correct yeah I'll do all the admin for them <laughs> I think that is definitely a, the beauty of curated makers is I will take on all of that for you they just need to trust me in my curation skills and my selection process and how do you go about selecting things does the retailers do they give you free reign or is it that you know they give you any themes or any directions or things that they want you to kind of stick to so the retailers when I go in there to pitch 
curated makers actually having a pop-up in there. I'll have already put forward a proposal of the type of products I'll stock. So it might be seasonal, so it might be a Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas range, or it might just be a, a general celebration of Northern artists, like what I've just done at Paper Chase. So they really do leave it to me to, to pull together the products and know that I've got those existing relationships with the makers. And yeah, of course, if there's anything that they really don't want me to stock, then I can just leave that out of the range there's enough creatives out there in order for me to you know work with the type of products that retailer are wanting me to but in as a general rule it's up to it's up to me what I stock in there so I look for high quality unique products that are handmade or made here in the UK and really something that I would buy for myself or put in my own home or something that I would gift to someone you know one of my friends or family that's been the criteria so far and I think I've just got an eye for spotting these lovely lovely products that will all come together well and, and complement one another but there's a lot a lot of makers and a lot of talent out there that I'm spoiled for choice but that's almost the hardest oh, surely yeah. to like narrow it down because you still need to to be even if it doesn't have to be matchy matchy it still has to be cohesive in the way and I guess you also have to make sure there's something to buy for each kind of type of gift yeah parents or moms or dads or you know that's it it's trying to appeal trying to appeal to everyone and having a range that everyone can buy from and that is the feedback I get is that oh everything's so lovely I want to buy it all but then the customer can probably only leave with one or two things so yeah even though they'd, they'd want to buy all you know something from everybody they they actually only leave with one or two so spoiled for choice I am when I'm selecting and so is the customer they might see something that is good for someone else that they know but they might come back and buy that directly from the maker when they're ready to make that make that purchase so it's almost like a another place to market yourself for the makers too yeah definitely so at each of the pop-ups I have a little write-up about each maker where I put their Instagram handle as well and then tell people yeah please do take pictures share and get in touch with them direct if you want to make a you know an actual commission through them if what's on the shop floor just isn't perfect for you get in touch with them direct mm. I am yeah so open for that to happen and, and again those live events I try to encourage whoever's on that table for the day to to use it to encourage commissions to say take my business card for future reference it's not all about converting on the day I know that's really unrealistic and I'm not salesy 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 at all it's more about the experience and the opportunity and yeah it's a it's a marketing channel I have a lot of makers that say oh you know the commission is quite high or I'm not retail ready or I I want to be a part of it because of the exposure and because of what it might lead on to so it's a great platform yeah it's a brilliant platform yeah so what do you look for when you're selecting a product and does price point and how it's made matter yeah definitely price point is really important so I normally seek products with a giftable price point of it's really about 30 pounds and below and there are exceptions to the rule but generally cards start from anything from two pound fifty up to homewares up to seventy pounds but really the main product range is between 15 and 30 pounds where it's about the right amount where people will spend on on someone else I do see a lot of people buying products from my pop-up shops to gift to other people and then they're treating themselves with products between the 5 10 15 product price point and um, 
it's really important to me that all products are made here in the UK and that they're small batch and that the makers are actually making conscious efforts to produce ethically produced products. You know, we're aiming towards being plastic free. Nothing is completely there just yet, but as long as people are conscious in making more sustainable choices, it's is really important to, to who I work with moving forwards. I think I've already mentioned that high quality, unique products are something that is really, really key to me. But I just wanted to take the time to say, I look to Instagram when I look in for the makers that I work with. I know it's not truly the right thing to do to base all of your time or effort on a platform that's out of your control. But visually, I use it to scope out makers because it's such a visual platform. I don't know about you, but I love having a little look as to how someone's putting themselves across, what they've got to say and what they're doing personally in their in their business lives. I think it's so important. And I think that, you know, you, you say you use it, buyers I've spoken to, they use it. You know, I think it's just, I think it was Antonia from Tinker Taylor that said that, you know, it, she does look at people's feeds and, you know, it, it is important that they put effort into how yeah. they come across it doesn't mean that you have to have mm -hmm. the most polished feed with professional you know all professional expensive photography it just means that you have to have thought mm -hmm. about how you put your brand across I guess or your business across yeah I couldn't agree more and I think that's what I try and say to people I say followers is not important whatsoever like that doesn't get me ticking whatsoever <laughs> it's it, the branding is and it's not like you say it doesn't have to be perfect it's just if someone has made a conscious effort to think about creating a brand is there some consistency there are the photos good have they made an effort in order to put themselves across well they don't have to be professional but just good photography and is it obvious what they sell when you land on their Instagram feed because the amount of feeds I go on and I'm like they, I don't understand what you sell what is your product what do you do who what what do you sell and if I have to ask that then that's a turn off for me unfortunately you know I don't want to go and really have to really get invested in to see what what they do I, it needs to be obvious to me because if it's not obvious to me it's not obvious to the customer I, yeah I think it's so important to have put thought into how you present yourself that is your shop window it might yeah. not be the most ideal platform in the world it's a third party platform and all this sort of thing but it is your shop window so you need to dress it perfect absolutely love that <laughs> <laughs> and it's free and that's what I say to people I'm like look you you don't even have to have a website it's good if you do but if you don't at least you've got some way of connecting to your customer for free it's a great great starting point yeah. and yeah hands up I definitely look at Instagram um to find out to find out about makers and I do like put out calls for makers every now and again where I'm just trying to like in my mind congregate as many makers as I can who fit within a certain field on an Instagram post mm. so I've most recently put one out saying I'm looking for Liverpool makers I'm looking for kids and baby makers and then I might not necessarily be looking to use them tomorrow but maybe I'm thinking three months down the line I'm going to be doing that I need to know what makers are out there yeah so if I get people to comment on there say what they do then when I'm ready to like look at that kids and baby market 
I've got a beautiful post full of beautiful makers <laughs> already like put in a little group for me to look through so do get involved in commenting on posts and you know putting yourself out there and put yourself forward I think that's so great I actually loved I kept checking back into you know when you <laughs> did that paper chase puff up one. Oh my word yeah people kept saying I just spent an evening scrolling through the hashtag <laughs> it was so good it was so much fun yeah um so yeah, yeah. Some re- it was a great resource and, and we're visual you know we're creatives that's why I do it I'm so visual like I used to have applications come through and they go on to excel and i just can't get my head around it because it's all just tech yeah but with instagram it's like a dream for my eyes so i <laughs> scroll and find beautiful products and then yeah save them and do all sorts with them but yeah instagram it is it is really important to me <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant i love that so what 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 has worked the best at each have has it been a completely different type of customer in Benson and paper chase and what what has sold the best what is the most popular what are people wanting at the moment it's so difficult every event is starting from scratch and that's a real real challenge because yeah what was our best seller in Benz was these beautiful candles then when I move over to paper chase yeah. it's all about the art the prints the jewelry so you can never really predict what your best sellers are going to be because every time you move the location you do have a whole different customer pool and especially if it's the first time you've been there you kind of going in blind uh, so it's just going with your guts and yeah it's going through previous sales and starting to gather learnings but you know I'm, I'm a new barely new business myself so I'm making those learnings all the while and trying to feed that on to the makers and what I do is I keep in touch with the makers throughout the pop-up to say look you've had a really good week one I don't think we've got enough stock to carry you through can you top up and they can top me up mid pop-up to make sure that there's mm. enough stock there for them to really make the most of it and and that's the beauty of being a small business and being very reactive yeah and having that personal relationship with each of the makers yeah too. yeah and there's you know a lot of them are actually around the corner so they'll have a studio around the corner they'll be like yes I'll be there tomorrow and then you're like wow that is there's no lead time there they've, they've got the stuff they're ready and yeah that that's been really really interesting but yeah the gosh the top sellers change every single event <laughs> well that's good because that means that you know you're widening the reach of the pop-up I guess so yeah. that's good and it gives each maker a new opportunity so it's it's not always just that one person always taking the limelight it means everyone's benefiting from it and and I also see that there isn't not there's one or two at the top that are top sellers and then everybody else it's really really shared you know the revenue between the pop-up which shows that the curation's working and that everyone's getting a little bit of the, the revenue share and that not mm. not just one person's really stealing the limelight everyone's benefiting from it it also shows that you know where it's different at each pop-up that you know the best seller that it's not always you know it's not so much about your product sometimes it's it's more about the fit with the retailer as well and the customer that shops there you know it's not if you supply a shop and it's not working or they're not interested in stocking your product it's not a reflection of you or your product it's more a reflection of their customer base maybe or definitely definitely and I think yeah some people can get a bit disheartened if they get rejected from a market store or, or 
or I say no to them, you know, to be selected for curated makers, it's not because your product's not beautiful or well-made or really creative. It's just not the right fit. And that's, you've hit the nail on the head there. But there is a space for, there's a space for everyone out there. It's just finding your niche and finding your customer and putting your product in front of that customer. So if it's not this shop that's working for you or not another shop, that's fine. There is there is a shop out there that will work for you. It's just finding that perfect partnership. Yeah, and sometimes it's just about timing and budget too. Or yeah, or maybe you already have something similar from someone else and you obviously don't want to have two things that are fairly close yeah and that's a difficult one so there's so many people I'd like to work with but I've already got you know got someone else on my books or maybe a market store organizer has already got a candle maker and they haven't got room for another candle maker to go on and that that's really challenging but what Mm. I do is I just have a a one-day list and put them on the one-day list and hopefully one day I'll have multiple shops which can all have totally different curations on at the same time so if it's not now it doesn't mean never it just means maybe maybe one day but I I put them on a one-day list (laughs) (laughs) that's a great list you're just focusing on the north obviously on makers from the north are you planning on are you also looking at running pop-up you know in other locations apart from the north and would you take on makers from other parts of the country or would you run with the ones from the north what what's your take on on that i would absolutely love to one day i think I'm already feeling growing pains at the moment, just tackling the North, uh, but I'm busy addressing them. So that's, <laughs> that's fine. But I would absolutely love to go to the South one day. And I've got a bit of a predicament in the fact that should I work with Southern makers when I go to the South or should I take the Northern makers down to the South? What do you think? I really, that's what I keep thinking about it. I'm like, it would be really, really different to take the north to the south or should I, I really don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I think that people Mm. really like the local aspects, don't they? But then it's still kind of made in the UK. So maybe you do the northern and then you have like a small section of, you know, know. southern makers. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what you, I don't think I could make a decision <laughs> if I was you. But yeah, the, the point on the localised thing, that, that is the key thing that I keep coming back to is that if you're running one in Bristol, they all need to be, or the majority of the shop needs to be Bristol-based makers, maybe with a few additionals. And when I'm in Manchester, the predominant curation is Manchester with a, with a few others from different areas. So, And I'm, I am looking to go to Liverpool for my next pop-up. So my curation will be heavily based on Liverpool makers with other northern cities in there as well. But that's good. Maybe the whole thing is that wherever wherever you go, you know, you you pick your Liverpool people first yeah. and then you fill in with other northern makers. Yeah. yeah sort of thing and and build it that way because people like to hear that you know oh this artist is just based around the corner yeah yeah i think it it definitely works but yeah don't ever write off the south i would love to i just need to find a few more megans and they're out there believe me (laughs) i know they're out there if if you're listening and you want to be involved please get in touch (laughs) yeah you've said that a few times on your instagram haven't you yeah i have and the the lovely thing is i've had some really great people reach out to me i've just not had the time to sit down and really process who's expressed interest what they could do and work out really what i need so it's 
really mm. high on the list in order to do that because I, I understand I can't do all of this alone. So yeah, I, I've not managed to get through all of those amazing people as yet, but it's high on the list. That would be an exciting new it step really to was. have help, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> official help, not your partner or not dad. <laughs> <laughs> what has been the biggest challenge so far? What has what have you felt was the hardest? I think I'm going through it right now, in all honesty, like everything's happening at once. And what I'm finding is it's not easy for big businesses and small businesses to work together. And that's why it probably doesn't exist right now. So I'm doing that hard legal work and admin work and paperwork with the big retailers in order to make it easier for us, for the small businesses to work with the big businesses. But because I'm the middleman, I'm going through all of that pain of building the relationships, which is the lovely part of it. But then the reality is all of the paperwork that comes with it and the responsibility. And I think I'm going through it right now. It's really exciting. But the reality is there's contracts, there's finances, there's a lot of background planning and building. And, you know, I need extra space. My house is fully taken over by this business. Just got a lockup, which is great. So all the wood does not enter my house anymore. All the wood goes straight into the lockup, which is a great step. But it, they all take time. And, and that's one of the biggest learnings is everything takes time. And there is only me. And money too. Things cost money. So I think the biggest challenge is right now. <laughs> and because of the pressures of Christmas, like Christmas is not far away for retailers. And I currently do not have a, anyone in the diary to trade with over Christmas there's a lot of talks going on a lot of chat but I've not signed the dotted line with anyone for Christmas and I'm very aware that the makers need to know so they can make yeah because it's also their busiest time I suppose so yeah that's it and they need to if they want to be a part of it they'll probably need to order mm. extra supplies allow for making time can they even commit to me am I pushing them too far I don't want to push anyone too far I want to help people and and complement their existing business and not add stress to their life you know it needs to be a positive experience and I don't want to throw it on anyone too late that's a real juggle at the moment so as soon as I can I'll let people know so what is the you know what's your goal with curated makers is it to do constantly have pop-ups or have lots of different pop-ups what's your goal what right now I I appreciate it might change at one point yeah it's definitely always going to keep changing for sure I think right now my goal is to support more makers through more pop-ups how many that is I don't have a number as yet and it all depends on how these tests go in, in this the latter part of this year. If these tests with these retailers go well, then the scope is there to actually support makers all over the country and have localised pop-ups, which would be an absolute dream. Don't get me wrong, that scares me so much because it would totally change the business. I do I would not be able to, you know, man the shops like I'm doing right now or or have such personal relationships with the makers. And that's so important mm. to me. And I think that's why it's working so well at the moment is because of the personal element. So whilst I want to support more makers and take it across the country, which is what people are asking for, I don't want to do it too quickly mm. so that I lose who I am, why I'm doing it and lose the most important pieces of how I run the business. So there's a fine line of, of wanting to grow it to help more people 
I want to grow it in, in the right way. And But I definitely would love to keep come up and coming up with ways in order to disrupt the high street. I definitely think it's needed. The customer has shown that it's needed. The retailers are talking to me, which is so positive and shows that they're interested mm. too. So there's definite demand. Then people keep asking, are you going to launch online? And I'm like, well, maybe one day. But right now, my point of difference and my USP is that I'm offering this personal experiential offering on the high street that doesn't currently exist you can't find small businesses on the high street you can go online and buy them and I'm not there to compete with you know the likes of Etsy or not on the high street I don't have the budget in order to, to compete with them and they do it very well but the retailers on the high street they need change I can't afford to take on my own shops, in all honesty. So it's a really, really nice way of collaborating with big businesses in order to showcase and champion small businesses. So I don't want to lose that. Yeah. And do you have a dream pop-up? I've got so many dream pop-ups. I basically <laughs> do want to take over the high street. <laughs> every, every shop could have a different curation. And going back to our point of whether that shop is maybe the not, right, not the right place for you. So in my mind... I could have pop-ups in, oh my God, the dream would, I mean, this is a Southern one, but imagine having a pop-up in Liberty, just absolutely championing all the Northern makers. You can use that as a platform to champion Northern makers or Selfridges. They don't, that would be so oh, no, amazing. Oh, no. and, and the likes of Selfridges, they already support local businesses and there's not too many Selfridges shops out there. But do it if it was done well and we were just there short term, that could be a great way. But then there's the staple retailers on the high street like John Lewis and Marks and Spencers, which were always at the top of my list because they do have mass appeal. They have mass audience. They have so many stores, so much opportunity, so much space. And you could do a proper road yeah. trip with yeah, like a road show. bringing the pop up to various MS's or John Lewis's around the country. Definitely. I'll, I might buy like a, a, a big van and tour. <laughs> <laughs> On tour. But yeah. That would be amazing. I know. <laughs> All branded up, curated link. <laughs> but the possibilities are endless. And the way I see it is, you could have a shop in Paper Chase live at the very same time as having one live in John Lewis. And both pop-ups could have a total different selection of makers in them because there's that much talent out there and that many people that are interested in being a part of these pop-ups is that each pop-up can have a totally different curation with a total different theme to it. I, I really look forward to seeing what you come up with next and where you go next. I mean, it would be great if you did something further down this way so I can actually come and see it. <laughs> one day, one day. Or, you know, maybe I just need to go north. Yeah, get, get on a train, come up north, visit us. <laughs> Yeah. So you do also have something else coming up. So you are hosting Creatable with, is it Helen? Yeah, Helen from the Creative Business Network. So tell us a little bit more about that and what it is. Oh, wow. Well, Creatable. I'll go right back to the beginning, actually. I found Helen who started Creatable last year on Instagram when I was just watching from afar. Helen was hosting an event in Exeter, which is so far away from from where I am so I I didn't go um I would probably have to fly there I thought so I, I thought I'll just watch it from Instagram and it just looked so lovely it looked there was a room full of creative business owners that were 
networking which is like an e-word because it's not it's no one likes networking do they really um no put a room full of like-minded people in a room together that are all creatives it doesn't feel like networking at all well that's what I got from from the far on Instagram I think we just read need to redefine the word networking it's not all like people in suits and corporate and you know shaking hands with and making deals I don't know. I know. It's just got this horrible like uh, association with the word. So I call it like ming- mingling. And I've, I've been to an event, Fiona from She Can She Did calls her events uh, mingles, which I really, really like. Yeah, I went to one of them. They're lovely, aren't they? They're great. <laughs> that is a networking event, but it's still, I guess, you know, we need to get away from that networking is something weird. It's like, it's just meeting people, isn't it? It is. It's just having a chat, having a chin wag with, hopefully, if you go into the right event, you found your people. And that's what Creatable looked like. It was it was mingling, It was, but it was create, It was business development as well well so you could actually go on workshops to actually enhance your business and and learn things as well as just have a lovely day so I reached out to Helen and said wow it looked amazing would you ever bring it up north and she was like not as yet but maybe we could so then we decided we would actually co-host an event this year in Manchester and we've never actually met one another so we've organized the whole event I know (laughs) that's incredible and that's the power of Instagram or the internet call it what have you but so you're basically going to meet for the first time when you set up (laughs) the day before I think um, it's going to be so emotional I cannot wait and I feel like we've known each other well we have we've probably known each other about a year now (laughs) organizing this and that has been such an amazing experience as well and and yeah massive learnings because we've both taken a punt on one another but the main thing is we've realized that we share the same values and we share the same goals and that we want to help the creative community and just create really really positive experience for people at quite an unsettling time in in the world in in general so we've decided to host it at Manchester Hall and it is a full day event from like nine o'clock in the morning till six o'clock and there are three keynote speakers there's Leona from Indie Roller Coaster there is Lucy and Chris from Lucy and Yak and then there's Athena from Meticulous Inc and they've all got successful small businesses of their own and they're going to be really inspiring talks and about what they've done on their journey they will probably share all of their you know their challenges and their the highs and the lows and share some really really interesting advice really of, of how to how to grow your business and then you get a choice of three different workshops and you can go to two of them so there's a choice of seo visual merchandising or legal and what to do if you get copied as a creative which is such an important area something that comes up all the time too. it's scary how often you see that on instagram of someone being copied and as you know if you're at home on your own and you're in your studio and you don't know how to tackle well what am i going to do a major retailer has potentially copied me what how do i tackle that and how do you even reach out to them you know so that workshop itself will be so so valuable um just to give you the confidence and some of those basic tools in order to what to do so they are like really educational and developmental workshops as well as having a lovely day all foods provided and and, you know meeting meeting the the creative community really so yeah Manchester is on the 5th of September which is not long away and the Exeter one is running again for the second time and that is on the 20th of September that's exciting so I, I So you're actually going to go down to Exeter this year? 
I am, yeah. So because my event has been pushed back, um, my next pop-up, I should be able to go to Creative Alexita, which is just, you know, the stars have aligned and I cannot wait. So uh, yeah, I'll get the best of both worlds. I'll, I'll enjoy the day in Manchester and Exeter. That sounds amazing. If you are in the north and you want to come, how can you, can you still get tickets? Are there still slots available? Yeah, there's still tickets available. Um, so you can just head over to our Instagram account, which is Creatable UK, which will take you to the, the website to buy your ticket. You've still got a few days left to buy tickets before the cutoff closes. So the event is on the 5th of September and we need to close that off two weeks before. So you've got until the 22nd of August to buy your tickets. So there's still time. And if you, when you go on the website, if you select your workshops and it says sold out, just put the workshops in a different way around and that might be able to, to allow you to buy the ticket. So certain workshops will be sold out uh, at the moment, but they're all going to be great. So whichever you choose to go to will be really, really positive. So I hope you can join us there. It's going to be a great day. That sounds like a fab event, I think. It's nice to see that they're not just London. I mean, I am based in London, so I would love for it to come to London. But, you know, everything is always based in London. So it's nice to see that, you know, things like this happen in other places too. It's not you know it doesn't have to be focused just around the capital yeah and that's why we both do what we do you know and because there is so much going on in London already and that's why um I'm not you know straight away looking to to take curated makers to London because there's already so much going on down there so I think it's been really welcomed that there's an there's an event up in Manchester as well it's really needed and but what the reason why I wanted to get involved with it as well is because I now have a lot of creators reach out to me wanting to be stocked in curated makers and I can't offer that opportunity to absolutely everybody which is a real shame and hopefully I will be able to down the line but what I found was this is such an amazing community that I wanted to do more to be a part of it and to encourage other people to to benefit from the creative community so I I did host a free meetup a couple of months ago now, which was amazing. Um, and it was free and about 40 people turned up. And that was such an incredible experience to see this whole room of people connecting and collaborations were made and, you know, cup of teas were being sh- like, you know, on tap. It was amazing. And it just showed to me that there's a real demand for this. So I will be hosting free meetups again in the future for sure. But then this is like a step up from that. This is this is a business development conference uh, for creative business owners. So if you want to take your business to the next level and really start, you know, getting some inspiration from other business owners or sharing some of the trials and tribulations of running a small business, because it's not all perfect at all. Um, this is the event to come to. It is an investment, but it's really, really worth it. Yeah, but it's an investment in you as a business owner and in your business. I think that we all need to make allowances to invest in sort of developing ourselves and also to get us out of our comfort zone actually go out there and meet you know other people that are on a similar journey that's like magic really it's so energizing and so much fun like even if you're not you know say you're an introvert and you don't really not like networking events like I don't particularly like networking events me neither 
But I, you know, once when I put myself out there and I go to these things, I always feel such a buzz. Yeah, it's that first step. Oh, it's horrible. It's like going to the gym, isn't it? You don't want to go to the gym, but as soon as you've done it, you're like, I feel amazing. Yeah, you just need to talk to your first person when you go to this event. And, you know, like, it's just that you can walk into a room and you feel, oh, where am I going to look? Where am I going to stand? Where am I going to sit? Who am I going to talk to? But it all works itself out. And it's such an achievement when you actually do it. Yeah, they're worthwhile. And the feedback from the last year event is like how welcoming Helen was and how welcoming she made the event and made sure everyone was was connecting with one another. And I think that is so invaluable. And like a little thing we're doing, because we know so many people are coming on their own. Like, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the whole event. Everyone is. So we've actually, the night before we're gonna say where our hotel is and where we'll be staying and we'll be in the the, like, the lobby the bar and anyone can come and have a, a quick drink you know just to break down that first barrier get to know a few more people before the actual day of the event if they wanted to so just little things like that we're just trying to make it really really welcoming and also there's people from all different stages of business coming along some people haven't got a business they work full-time and they dream of having a business and they're still coming along and it's the perfect event for them as well just to open up their eyes to say oh I've got a dream but I don't I don't even know where to start and just connecting with someone that has started is will be really valuable as well as as someone who's maybe they're doing very well in their business but they've just hit a bit of a creative block and they just need a real a real boost before we go into that Christmas season uh, it, it's just a really well-timed event actually and a lot of people said that last year that they needed it to get them through this crazy period that is Q4. Yeah and sometimes you just need some inspiration like I mean I must say so I was made before I started this business I was made redundant on the Monday and I saw an event advertised on the Wednesday and I went to an event I think that Friday. Wow. And that was, you know, I decided I want to start a business on the Wednesday. Yeah. I, I mean, I had obviously thought about it for a long yeah, time, but the, I just decided to go needed. for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting in a cafe and I decided oh, I'm just going to go to this and talk to some people and see if, you know, the idea, you know, if it's actually a viable idea sort of thing. Because I just yeah. figured I need to talk to people about it to see what they think. And, you know... It was it was great, and there was lots of people there that had businesses or dreamed of having businesses, and it was just a good place for me to kind of go and meet other business owners because I didn't really know that many. I mean, I know business owners as in like you know independent retailers I sold to, but I didn't really know business owners yeah. in the same sense. So, and it, it's so invaluable to have business friends. It really is. It is. It's just a different perspective as well. Like you might be absolutely pulling your hair out over a certain task that you've stumbled on and you can't find the answer. If you just ask a few people, they've probably got the answer for you. They've probably gone through it themselves or know someone that can put you in touch with them. Oh, it's so invaluable it's great and once you find an event that you're yeah comfortable at it, it's life-changing really isn't it to have business friends yeah absolutely I don't think I, I mean I talk to the people that I got close to like daily yeah you know mm -hmm. I, like I met you through Instagram I can't remember who introduced us now but like I like love having you as a, a friend as a contact now like you helped me on yeah. a barcoding issue which is so <laughs> valuable and meant so much to me because 
you knew a lot that I couldn't necessarily find on Google. You just told me the facts straight away. And oh, yeah, it's so nice to be on here now. It is. And one day we will actually meet in, in real life. We will one day. <laughs> one day. So I think before I let you go, can you, I always ask, do you, do you have a brand that you feel that deserves a shout out? I'm sure you have lots. So, you know, but someone that you are particularly impressed with and maybe a retailer that you think is getting it right at the moment and doing something interesting? Good question. Good question. I think in terms of a retailer that I think Lush are doing it really well, really well. I went to their Liverpool store a few weeks ago and I think it's the biggest one that they have in the world, actually. It was incredible. They gave us a tour around the shop as well. Like It's three floors and there is like a, a hair salon in there. There's like a sushi bar, which is with wow. products. Um, they host kids parties in there. There's a salon in there. There's like a whole spa in there where you could host your like hen party and like 10 people could like have a massage in the same room type thing. And it is kitted out so well. They've obviously spent a lot of money on the shop, but the whole experience was fantastic. They have, you can make your own perfume in there. You could, there's a coffee bar in there. You get a coffee there's even a place for you to get a coffee and um, sit down put the headphones on listen to a few vinyls whilst you read a book all about perfumery as you decide what perfume you want oh wow they're really about the experience i think they're you're actually the second guest that mentioned them because really? they're very true to what they stand for as well very much yeah they i went to a podcast recording actually with mark constantine the founder where he spoke and he was just so normal so genuine still so passionate still so involved in the business and it just speaks through everything they do even with their activism and uh, everything they stand for I think yeah it just shines through right to the core and I think that is so important that having your values like something I couldn't find for a business when I was trying to find a job that worked for me your values are so so important and don't ever forget those because that's what shines out to the world and you want you want people to know who you are through your values, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's why we do this. I think otherwise we might as well be employed in a company. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> and do you have any brand that you think deserves a shout out at the moment? That's so hard. In terms of like a maker or a, a small business? Yeah, any, any small business, so I many guess. spring to mind, but I'm going to have to be really biased and shout out <laughs> to... A, a local friend and colleague is that Myra doodles. She's so inspiring because she doodles on windows for a living, right? And she actually has been doing it for, for many years. And when you walk around our local high streets, a lot of the windows are decorated and doodled by Myra because you can see if it's a Myra doodle window now. She's built this personal brand and, and people are really, really interested in, in what she's doing. But because of her platform, she actually then, after we had the terrible attack in Manchester a few years back, Myra wanted to raise some money for the charity. So set out to doodle on the windows of 22 businesses and charge them all £10 each in order to raise, what was that, £220 for charity. And that's amazing. even that is amazing. But it turned out that like 200 people wanted their 
the bees drawn on the window and they wanted to, da- to, to, to donate money. And she raised £15,000 for the charity in total oh, and wow. had to collaborate with other artists that also doodled on windows to achieve that because it was too big of a task for her to do alone. She recognised that. She reached out to other artists to say, look, they're probably her competitors, but she's like, I need your help. Do you want to get on board? And now they're actually close friends. They work together on collaborations when the window's just too big for one of them to do. And they've just started like a collective, the three of them, a whole new business, like an Instagram account to work as a collective on, on big projects. And I'm like, that is everything that creativity is about. It's community, it's giving back and collaboration. And I think she's an absolute legend. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So what's her other collective that she started? Girls with Pens. Yeah, you can find her on Instagram. And every window now, it has to be that Myra comes and does the window. So I hope she has a schedule always open for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's <laughs> she's been a, a real catalyst in Curated Makers as well, because we meet for coffee and, and, and you know, share so many ideas with one another. That, that, yeah, she's, she's a really, really great great business lady as well as a friend oh that's so good to hear and you need them they're what makes it all kind of tick along so how can people connect with you and also how can they get involved with curated makers okay yeah so you can register your interest to be a part of curated makers on our website and there's a tab that says makers and that's where you can do that that's not necessarily an application. It's just registering your interest. So each event, I will either hand select people based on those registering interest or based on people that have um, responded to our call outs on Instagram. Or sometimes I open up applications via Instagram like I did with the paper chase opportunity. So there's not really one rule of thumb as to how to get involved because There's so many makers out there. I just curate each pop-up based on the location, the space, and the customer. So there's either I'll reach out to you if you've expressed interest or apply on Instagram when I put the post out. And then obviously there'll be free meetups that are coming as more regularly as as I'd like to do them. I've only done one so far, but I will host more free meetups in the future. And then, of course, Creatable. That's exciting. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely chatting with you. Um, And yeah, best of luck. And congratulations on launching the podcast too. Thank you so much, Megan, for taking the time to talk shop with me today. And thank you to everyone who are listening. All the links to the businesses mentioned in this episode are in the show notes including a YouTube video with an interview with Megan at the Paper Chase pop-up. I've also included the links to Creatable to get your tickets and also to a YouTube video which is an interview with Megan at the Paper Chase pop-up and you can see a little bit more of the pop-up there. So go and have a look at that. I also want to take a moment to talk about Small and Mighty Co, which is a small business hub for independent retailers, makers and creatives. Each month, myself and 11 other co-editors contribute with articles covering a wide range of topics like SEO, branding, trends, production and so much more. There's already over 100 articles for you to read and I really, really recommend that you go and have a look at it. Of course, the link to this is also in the show notes. 
Small and Mighty Co. is run by my good friend Sam Burgess and she also has a podcast called Small and Mighty Conversations and last week I was a guest on her podcast talking about my background, wholesale, trade shows and lots and lots more. I put the link to the episode in the show notes as well so go and have a listen. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and if you can it, I would so appreciate if you would rate and review the podcast as it really, really helps others discover it too. I will be back next Monday with the episode that was supposed to go out this week where I will be talking to a retail buyer for a small chain of stationery stores. And I hope to see you then. Have a great week.